Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Say podcast season nineteen twenty something like that. League One, we're back again. Three divisions. We've been talking about over the how many of six years? I think we've probably been doing the pod. Um, and yeah, we've just come back for more. Stephen's on here. He's on holiday again. He always does this. Goes on holiday for about six weeks. Um, he uses all of the money that we earn from Wise Men Say. Um, and then takes it all and spends it on holidays for himself. So, and I just sit at home and, and do all this and, and feed his addiction. Um, so, yeah, I'm the mug in this situation. But obviously, someone's got to stay and look after everything, haven't they? Do you think he like travels to a to a tax haven and, and kind of stashes all the money that um, from 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 your various commercial interests? A violent tax haven, probably somewhere where there's the opportunity to throw plastic tables around, sort of get boozed up in the sun, <laughs> that sort of thing. That's what Stephen likes to do. Um, but yes, yeah, so yeah, that was the voice of Richard uh, Easterbrook. Also joined by, uh, what are you doing? Who are you tweeting now, Chris? What are you doing? I'm not doing anything. Well, stop instigating problems. I, I, I yeah. thought we were sticking to the football. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are sticking to the football. Oh, brilliant. Um, yeah, so we've got Chris Weatherspoon here um, and uh, the Chronicles' James Hunter is back again. Hello. That is me. Yeah. James has kept his nose clean this summer. He's been fine. He's been he's been in storage. Yeah. We've all been wearing ourselves out on social media. Well actually he's been to Portugal. Well, yeah, some people so, say that would be work. But well I, mean, I did a bit of work. Well, did a bit of work. well we might as well start there. I mean the pre season obviously on the back of the you know, the, the defeat in the playoff final and you know, it felt as though we'd only been you know, out without football for about three weeks, and then here yeah. we are again. And obviously, it picks up for you again. And you know what? What were your thoughts generally on on getting out there and sort of the vibe around the place generally? Yeah, I mean, it, it did seem to come round very quickly. I think it was about roughly fifty days, something like that, between the playoff final and uh, uh, and going out there to Portugal. So um, it seemed it seemed like there was barely any break whatsoever. Um, a lot of continuation there, but. It was it was a decent trip to Portugal, to be honest with you. Obviously, they had the South Shields friendly ahead of that, but then um, stepped things up a notch as they tend to do in pre-season. Obviously, starts starts with uh, um, you know usually a, a local side, and, and then the opposition raises in class with each uh, with each game. Um, and there were two good games out there. They were against um, Benfica B um, and also Belenenses, a top-flight Portuguese side. Two teams uh, that play a very different style of football to uh, the teams that Sunderland will come up against in League One. Um, but it's very difficult to get um, teams who are the, the same standard that you are and uh, also play the same style as you are without actually playing other League One clubs. And teams tend not to play teams in their own division. Well, come on to that point, actually. I, mean, I don't know if either of you guys, Chris Richard, saw much of the, the pre-season fixtures. No. No. Can I shock you? <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I haven't watched a kick. Well, I saw one... Of the games, the um, Benfica B won. Watched it on the stream. Got the um, straw. Yeah, and the, the most thrilling part of that was the the cameraman getting wrong at half time by the fella from Sunderland who was like giving him like a pep talk about how to shoot the second half better, <laughs> which was quite entertaining. Um, but I, I think it's, it's an interesting point you make about the style, and I think it's point you know it's been discussed privately by a few of us. It's an odd. An odd pre-season in the sense that I think we've played the same amount of games as we did last time, maybe one more with the 
the two training ground ones but yeah if you include those i don't really include include no. those but yeah but it's odd that i know what you're saying about styles but we could play teams from league two or or a conference i don't know what chris thinks on this i mean have are we best have we best prepared with the fixtures that we set up i mean here in Vien at home then don't play anything like a, a, a league a league one team you know someone trying to get put the ball in the box you know, put the centre halves under pressure. You know, yeah. is that the, is it the best preparation to play these types of teams in pre-season when you're setting up for League One and when we struggled against physicality last season? Um, I, I don't know. I think it's a hard one. Like r- realistically, I think a lot of pre-season. I think a lot of the hard work in pre-season goes on that we don't see, like in training and uh, these behind closed door things. I think. I think the opposition that you play against it regardless of what division you're in I think it's quite difficult to kind of uh, match off against what you're expecting to play against that season um, I mean we, we played Juventus one year and I mean I don't think there were many teams in England at the time we played like Juventus so but if it's replic- like, you could replicate a style in the Premier League they're a high level team and you're going to see a more probably a variety of styles in the Premier League compared to you know in League One where it's you know, I'm not saying it's like it's long ball and all yeah. that sort of thing, but we're definitely put under pressure physically. I do think, though, like with like well, just about everyone's got us as favourites or one of the favourites to go up. I think really, like we should be looking to play games on our terms anyway. If you know what I mean. So I'm not. I know what you mean. And like, yeah, if you could get a bit more of a physical aspect in there, that would be better. But I think really for us, it's more about like how do we go about our game rather than trying to combat other teams I mean what do you think Richard in terms of the few of the sort of main lower league podcasts have said suggested that you know Portsmouth will win the league and and Sunderland they'll be second Um, whereas the mood and we'll come on to the the kind of players were brought in um, you know later on but the mood to me generally feels a little bit more negative whereas last season it was quite well, we're going to smash the league. Yeah. And and then all the, those sorts of, you know, th- these people who've seen this football for a long time are going, well, you know, they're the, the coming in here and they think it's going to be easy. It won't be. And a few of them had, didn't have us, you know, going up. Whereas this time, after they've seen us for a season in League One and the teams that have come down, the teams that have come up, maybe looking at us and thinking, oh, well, they, they should have enough based on the amount of points that both Portsmouth and Sunderland got last season. I think ending the season as we did on on such a crushing low and and in such a in such a way we 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 deserved to lose that game but we didn't deserve to lose in that way I don't think over the course of the the forty six plus the the three games that we played in the playoffs it, that wasn't the way we should have deserved to finish that season so I think when when you weigh that up against the you know the new season it's hard to kind of get up for that it's hard to be feeling positive when the season ended so negatively. Um, me personally, I think I'm, I'm guilty of being in a, in a bit of a bubble with with Sunderland. In that, I've kind of been very negative about you know the, the whole preseason and, and how I feel about our prospects for the for the for the next for the next nine months. But that changes, you know. You know what what things are like in, in a week running up to a season. You, your optimism starts to grow, and by the time two fifty nine on the Saturday afternoon comes, you're uh, you, you're thinking you're going to win the league. We and, should and. I'm probably going to be heading that way, but at the moment, <laughs> I'm still on the road to to, to recovery from uh, from the playoffs. I mean, we've saw kind of last season, James, that like we kind of try to brute force our way almost to to, to promotion. Um, obviously, Jack Ross is still putting the stamp on his team. He's the first manager of Sunderland in God knows how long to have the opportunity to have two full pre-seasons. I think probably since Steve Bruce, funnily Steve enough. Steve Bruce is the first manager to to be in charge for two successive opening yeah. days. Yeah, so it does everything really. It does. Um, and where is he now? We didn't see that coming. <laughs> Whatever we? happened to Steve yeah, Bruce? Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, is it is it a case that you know the they can do that again this season, where they've they've just got to try and kind of bully their way through games and and you know show the dominance in the extra quality that we've got, and I think the quality still remains. Or do you think Jack Ross is going to try and put a different stamp on things? Obviously, we've seen the the three at the back that he switched to, which he's played all through pre-season. So do you think this is the first sort of chance he feels he's going to 
get all of the team and go right they're going to play the way I want to play I think there's an element of, of that I think uh, there's very much um, two sets of expectations last season there was the expectations from outside um, by which I mean um, external observers and, and fans themselves um, who thought that Sunderland should and would win win the league or at the very least win win prom- automatic promotion and then within football and within um, the club itself there was a, the expectations were were uh, slightly more tempered in that, uh, that there was a realization that this would be a, a big adjustment um, and there was a massive turnover of players last summer um, and the, with the takeover and the new manager there was a feeling that the whole thing was coming together and I think in in some ways last season uh, the club was uh, ahead of ahead of itself, if you like. It was probably probably uh, um, it wasn't uh, the expectation within was was that the, the club would be around where where it was, sort of fourth, fifth, around there. But that wasn't what you got the feeling from 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 people on on the outside. I think this season things. I think the club is. Um, better set up I think the squad is better suited to playing League One football and a League One promotion campaign I think obviously Jack Ross has had a, a year in League One so he knows what to expect better this time than than, than a year ago um, and, I, and I think Sunderland are, are better set up for a promotion this season than they were last I think as a team we're hopefully going to be a lot better at playing those those classic League One sides that, that come up here for a draw Start time wasting from the from the tenth minute onwards. I think we need to be a bit more more savvy. Um, I think I know I know Jack Ross was dead against us, kind of campaigning against referees, but a lot of de- decisions went against us because because we weren't calling for it and weren't campaigning for it. I think I think we need to be a little bit more streetwise and hopefully you know the last season in the in the in, the, in League One will see us uh, in good stead for that. Well, in terms of the the squad they've brought in, five players have replaced. Robin Reuter essentially with with Lee Burge, um, Jordan Willis has come in uh, on a free from Coventry. We brought in Mark McNulty on loan, George Dobson um, and uh, Conor McLaughlin. Um, those are the five main players that we we brought in up to now. Um, my concerns primarily around the squad have been a lack of variety, and I think we had a lack of variety last last season. It wasn't a lack of quality; it just didn't feel as though we had. The difference, you know, in, in, in available and selection, it was always like for like changes. Really, um, have we addressed that with the players we brought in? Um, you've got much more versatility, uh, much improved versatility this time. You've got players that uh, um, that certainly defensively are capable of playing as part of a back three or a part of a back four. I think that you'll see um, that kind of change made more often throughout the season from game to game, but also within games as as well. Um, you've got players like um, Conor McLaughlin and Jordan Willis who can play centre-half but can also play at full-back. Um, you've got players like Denver Hume that can play wing-back but also can play left-back. Um, so there's a lot more variety in that sense. So I, I think you'll see Jack Ross stick with this sort of 3-4-3 three, three, or 3-4-2-1, three, three, however you want to describe it. Christmas tree, um, the... the, the uh classic Christmas tree of the mid 90s yeah whichever way you which, whichever way you want, want to describe it but I think you're going to see him stick with that for, for the opening game against uh, Oxford It'd, I'd be amazed if you play that system all the way through pre-season and then suddenly change um, for the opening day of the season but I think that you'll it'll be a lot more horses for courses but the players that he's brought in fit that 3-4-3 system um, much better than the ones that he had last season so I think you that, that's going to be the way forward but in terms of style of play, I don't know, I mean, if you look, so we've got, we'll get on to George Honeyman shortly, but counting sort of 11 um, first team central midfielders in the squad. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say Dobson and Robson probably fit into a bracket together. Um, and then obviously you've got the attacking players. You've got, if you want to class what more, Gooch, Maguire and McGeady as kind of forward players. And then the rest of them are kind of the same player in Ledbetter, McGeoch, Power. Yeah. Um, it's it's a funny one, really, because I still feel as though we're lacking in. Uh, you're right about what you're saying in terms of variety in the way they want to change the shape within a game, 
But I do feel as though we're still lacking in, you know, we could bring Duncan Watmore on at pace, but we don't seem to have any real explosive players in there. Somebody, I guess somebody people are aware you could put Kimby Ocker in, but I don't think he's anywhere near personally. I mean, I messed out Embleton, who's been playing all mm-hmm. the pre-season as well <laughs> yeah. in that. But then you've got Embleton, Maguire, McGeady and Watmore would be in that bracket. It, but it, I just feel as though you could just go, oh, well, I'll, I'll put him in and you might, if you take him out, you can swap him and you put the other one in. It's it's the same. I'll be honest. I think, hopefully, anyway, Dobson is going to be the one who kind of makes that sort of change of it. I think one of the problems we had last year is um, we're quite ponderous in midfield. Like Quite often, like you know, we're playing three in the middle and that, but we weren't really, weren't really doing much with it. And I think like the playoff final, for, I mean, I, I thought Max Power was fairly ponderous himself for most of the season, but spoke about oh sorry, most of the second half of the season but the minute he won off in the playoff final it was like oh hang on we don't have any kind of like sort of like vertical movement here we don't how, how are we going to like get from one stage to another kind of thing and I think I think based on what people have said and and um, like what, what Walsall fans have said about him previously it seems like Dobson might be the guy for that Um because it sounds like he can move the ball quickly. He can. He's got good technique and stuff like that. So I think, I th- I think for us last year, especially in the second half of the season, I think that was a big problem. Because in the first half of the season, you watch, if you watch us at our best, it was when we moved the ball quickly. Obviously, we had Maggio up front who was more involved as a striker than the other two. And um, I think after he left and after Christmas, like Ross. Before Ross had said that he wanted to concede less goals and I think the problem was we really kind of we just became like really plugged up in the middle so I think that's the key area for us at the minute and I know we'll come on to Honeyman later but I do feel like the preference probably would have been to get rid of one of those ones who sit a bit deeper rather than him well I, I would argue you could still probably get rid of two of them yeah but given the, the size of that that group I mean how are you going to keep all of them satisfied? How are you going to use them? But you, yep. I think, I mean, I was, sorry, I was at the, I know I said I was only at one pre-season, season, pre-season game. I, I, I tell a lie, I was at Here in Vain as well, um, where we did the pre-match with Stuart Donald. That's available as a podcast if, if anyone wants to listen to that. Um, but it, as soon as Dobson came on, it was like, bang. I think his, his first touch of the ball, he was in space. One touch past it. Then he moved into space again, first time pass. Then he moved into space again, first time pass. And then the ball came into Grigger's feet. He managed to turn the defender and he got a shot away, went, went into the side netting. But we moved the ball quickly. Mm-hmm. I know Griggs come under quite a bit of stick recently. I think, funny when we talked to, to Will Grigg and when he signed and we kind of had a chat with him and people were saying, oh, don't scare him sort of thing. But we're saying, look, this is what happens at Sunderland if you don't deliver on the expectations you very quickly get people on your back and it's very difficult to get them off and I felt as though against here and Vini was definitely um, on the cusp of getting frustrated um, and then the crowd kind of responding and having a go at him every little thing he was doing was wrong um, but as soon as Dobson came on and they moved the ball quicker he managed to get a span away and get a shot away well, do we need more players like Dobson? Because if Dobson gets injured and he's this linchpin in that system to move the ball quickly, I think so. Yeah, I, I, I think I think if we have fewer midfielders that, that that try to win the game for themselves and more players that can actually create chances for the strikers, you know, Will Grigg has scored goals at this level for every club that he's played for, um, in 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 good amounts as well. This can't be the blip. You know, we can't allow. Sunderland once more to be the blip on some player's career you know we've, we've got to start feeding them we've got to start using the likes of Dobson and also the the onus needs to fall on the likes of Gooch and McGeady as well who have been guilty in the past Gooch especially of trying to trying to create chances for themselves not really servicing the strikers that they're supposed to be servicing um, and I think unless unless we can solve that problem it'll probably be probably be similar frustration yeah. for Grigg standing up there by himself not getting any service well I, I think the, the sign of McNulty like kind of points to that because everything you read about him and everything you hear about him suggests that he he likes to play as like the 10 
drop off a bit and link the player sort of thing and that that was what we were missing last year I mean look I mean let's be fair to Grig as well we signed him injured and he was signed with a lot of expectation because he's Will Grig and also because of the fee that's went on him so it was kind of he was up against it from the off and I'm, I'm not going to say that he's completely blameless in being poor last season but I think we 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 clearly didn't know how to get the best out of him, and like like what we've just discussed there, like by the time we got the ball up to him, they had they were all set. They had two defenders around him, and when you watch him, when you've seen him for Wigan and stuff, he's at his best when he's playing on the shoulder, and the and the ball's getting played ahead of him. And that, I mean, I, I think that happened. To be fair, did that happen in in the game where he missed the sitter? I think that against might Blackpool, have, he, yeah. Well, it was to be fair. That was just a lump ball over the top that he managed to yeah. run on. But he was on the shoulder, wasn't he? Yeah, and that's he was, what I mean. Yeah. The ball gets moved forward quickly. Okay, like, okay, it's not coming through midfield, but the ball goes forward quickly, and he's onto it. And that, that's how he plays. But we didn't play like that. We didn't like facilitate that. So I think having someone who's going to come deep, who's going to probably possibly like drag a defender out, or you know, move the ball a bit more quickly. I do think that they've done that. They've signed him to facilitate Grig. So I think look like. I get what you're saying and he's kind of already a bit on a high into nothing but I think if if they've set the team up right we should hopefully see more from him because the problem was last year we signed, we signed him at literally the last minute and we hadn't really built the team for him if you know what I mean whereas well, we, now it looks like we're signing players who might actually facilitate how he plays he wasn't a major replacement but he was a logical replacement in that well if you need somebody to score goals in that league, he's the person who's going to score goals in that yeah. league. But they didn't, I think you have to, I think you have to differentiate the the criticism that he received between the criticism for his performances and the criticism of him as a player. Um, because when I read on sometimes on on social media and some people say, "Oh, Will Griggs hopeless. He's you know can't play. He's crap. Whatever." I just disregard all that because you only need to look at the guy's CV. He's not yeah. any of those things, he, you know. In League One, he's a, he's a proven goal yeah. goal scorer. He's a he's yeah. an arch goal scorer at that level. But that yeah. doesn't mean that sometimes when he when he plays, then he can play poorly. And and people have every right to criticism for criticize him if he performs poorly. But you can't let that spill over into saying, "Oh, he's just no good. He's hopeless. Forget him." Because I think that's the, that's the, always the the danger, the tendency. People tend to criticize the person rather than the performance. And I, that's where where I, I like to draw draw the line really between the two. Um, he is not playing well, and he didn't play particularly well last season either. But that doesn't mean that he's a poor player, and it doesn't mean that he won't play well this season. Um, you, you know, he, he hasn't scored at all in pre-season, um, but that won't matter at all if he gets goals on Saturday against Oxford. Nobody will be saying, yeah, yeah, but he didn't score against our Shields, did he? Well, sometimes scoring doesn't help. I mean, yeah. look at Lewis Graben, for example. <laughs> I mean, he scored 12, 13 goals and it didn't, people did discounted them because they didn't like him, which is fine. It's their opinion. That's, that's football, but it's... I think it, the problem is, like, we signed, we signed Greg at the, at the last minute, as we said, we signed him for a big fee, as we all know, and everybody got very excited about it and that's not his fault and the problem is if he doesn't then deliver he becomes kind of like the lightning rod for the critics if we don't score it's like well what's Greg doing why hasn't he scored kind of thing whether whether he's getting chances to or not like it doesn't matter it, on a kind of a lazy look at it and I'm not saying people who criticise him are necessarily lazy but if there is a lazy criticism it's usually well we didn't score must be the striker's fault I think the thing with Greg look I suppose now, if now what we'll say is like, okay, if it continues till Christmas or something, then okay, maybe maybe there is an issue there because it, from what we've just said, it does feel like they're trying to facilitate him. Hopefully, he's he's fit now because we know he wasn't fit all last season. But I, I think um, I I think it's interesting though the way people look at it, like what you were saying there, James, because like if we think about Charlie White, start last season, signed Charlie White, okay, he was injured a fair bit, but didn't really get. Like much, I'm not. I'm not going to say like he didn't get support kind of thing, but nobody was particularly keen on him. And then I think around like March, April time, he had a couple of good games, and everybody yeah. was like, "Oh wow, like oh, he's he's brilliant." Like I can see, I can see why I was saying, "What is going on over here?" Dramatic music while what, I'm talking. What are you doing, you idiot? <laughs> <laughs> I got, I got um, distracted. <laughs> well, so that. Um, 
Yeah, so so Wyke had a couple of good games, and it's kind of like I remember like the City he missed against Burton, where the keeper was basically already down on the ground, and he kicked it straight at him. Like if Grigg had done that, he would have been crucified at the time. Mm. But because Wyke had had a couple of good games, so I think it, I think it can turn around. It's a, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Where I was thinking about this before with Grigg, because if it wasn't him and it was a player who was well, he's you know he's he's playing every week with this knackered leg. But he's doing it. He's put the shirt on. He's given his all. He's coming out. He's trying to do the best he can in the situation he's in with his injury. And it would be like applauded because it's somebody playing through the pain barrier for the shirt. But because it's the big fee, Will Griggs brought to score the goals. If he doesn't score goals, it's a different thing. There's no there's no excuses That's, for him. And with, with White, it almost turned into it was a little bit of a comedy figure thing where it was like, oh, well, he's so rubbish. We'll all kind of like decide that we're going to all get behind him and like, sort of to, to spur him on and then it's like oh, aren't we great supporters because we've backed him and his performance has improved yeah. um, it's, it is funny how different people react to, to different players who are pretty much in the same place like like you pointed out I mean Charlie White and Will Grigger are in the same, pl- are in yeah. the same place last season yeah. but the expectation levels of those players varied through the course of the season and you know you look at it as, as, as well Gareth you know last season Aidan McGeady was playing for for two months with, yeah, uh, with broken a broken foot. bone in, in in his foot, and every every game people were looking at the team sheet, hoping that he would would be on the team sheet. the The flip side of that was that every Will Grigg was playing with this injury, and every time people were looking for the team sheet, and when he was on it, they went, "Ah, oh, you yeah. know, he's limping and limping on again." Whereas that was exactly what yeah. they wanted from Aidan McGeady. Yeah. They, they were desperate to see his, him on on the team sheet. So it is. It's, it's different people in different ways that you look. And as you you're saying, it's not always the striker that's at, at fault when you're not scoring yeah. goals. In much the same way that I think we all agreed that John McLaughlin was excellent last season, but Sunderland didn't keep enough clean sheets. But nobody yeah. says, "Well, that's John McLaughlin's fault," yeah. do they? You look around and you and you see that there's a bigger issue there. So it's not always down to the individual. I mean, have they solved that issue with with Jordan Willis from what you've seen? I mean, it was interesting because when there was an England that we could sign him we kind of had a look and most of the talk was Championship Derby mm-hmm. it was Derby mm-hmm. a lot of Derby fans talking about getting him um, some Reading fans QPR fans Bristol, Bristol City, City yeah. and we got him so and he looks from the little I've seen to have what we're missing last season yeah he, he, you know he's looked excellent in, in pre-season from what I've seen of him you know he, he's very very quick um, and he's also good in the air um, and he can also play in a couple of different positions so you know the, those were all qualities that um, that Ross was looking to address this summer. They were all things that, that the defence was deficient in last year, and so in, by bringing in this one player, he's brought in somebody that, that's tackled some of the, the weak links last time. Yep. And I think he will will be a, you know a massive massive help and a massive improvement on what went before. Yeah, I think what you point out there about him being quick is like a big thing because last year we had we know we had an abundance of centre halves, but not one of them was quick, and I mean some of them were like extraordinarily slow but like not one of them was quick and there were as we just said like McLaughlin bailed us out quite a few times last year where teams got in behind like I, I remember down at Coventry I remember Doncaster twi- Doncaster yeah. twice in a minute twice in a minute they broke through and he made two one-on-one saves and that which I'm not saying it definitely wouldn't happen but if you've got a quick bloke back there the it negates the possibility yeah. of that happening and that's what, but the other side of that I know it's like a much discussed point is that's what he keeps there for. So. Of course, yes. But, but you're right. In but that, at the same yeah. at the same time, like cause, it'd be nice to give give him some help. Well, yeah, and, and like at the same time, like obviously, like we, we drew a lot of games one one, and that's easy. And well, if you've only conceded one a game, it's not a bad. But actually, like if you have a look at how many saves he's had to make, and that 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 takes its toll, and eventually it gets to a point where like the dam breaks. So oh, I shouldn't really say that after today. Well, didn't seen. see what happened. Uh, a, a damn broken Derbyshire. All oh, right, okay. Um, but yeah, but anyway, it was pretty bad. Did you tweet it, the uh, dam, Chris? Is no, that what broke it? No, no, I'm blocked off that. He's blocked well. the fact. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was all over BBC News, guys. You should keep up with these things. Um, but no, eventually you get to a point where, like, where they, where they break through. So, sort of and I, I think, like, to be honest, the the Coventry game at home last year. I don't think it came as that big a surprise to everyone. I know it's like a ridiculous scoreline, but I think the warning signs had been there that there were the, these defensive frailties and the goalkeeper was bailing them out quite often. So 
I mean, look, they, they've got Willison, they've got McLaughlin, and hopefully that's addressed. But even then, it's it's such an odd thing. I, I look back last season, people talk about defensive frailties, but we had one of the best defensive records in the league. People talk about we didn't score enough goals. Yeah. We scored did, over a hundred goals in in, in, did, in the but, sixty games. But how many how many games though did did you feel like when teams attacked against us that we looked? really comfortable yeah but that, that might that, well have been the same for the other teams that we don't watch every week I know I mean I watched Barnsley play Walsall they got absolutely battered by Walsall and, and managed to win the game 1-0 um, it's just one it's, it might just be the league and maybe our expectation levels of the level of defending and possibly. the level of attacking is set at Premier League level that we've been watching yeah, for such a long time and you make, it, you make a mistake in the Premier League and, and nine times out of ten it gets punished yeah. but in League One we've learned that it's maybe five times out of ten yeah. that it gets punished and and, and it, that applies to ourselves yeah, as well yeah it's, I think it's just bizarre and it's it's almost typical Sunderland that we had a season where we barely lost um, save for the, for the last month of the season when we had that, that you know, little spell that yeah. little uh, that little blip um, you know we finished in the playoff positions yet our player of the season was, was our goalkeeper. Yeah. It's just, this is classic Sunderland. Do you not think, like, going, this is kind of going back to what we talked about at the start and kind of negativity, do you, not, do you not think it was kind of the reason there's been a bit of a negative vibe partially this summer is because the trajectory of last season, but it wasn't kind of, it wasn't like we were constantly going up towards the playoffs. It was like we, we started off, yeah. we started off pretty high. And then we we gradually got lower and lower and lower. I think we I don't think we were ever as low as fifth until pretty much the last day of the season. But it was kind of that that was that was the direction of travel. So I think like everybody talks about momentum, but they talk about it in a positive fashion. Whereas yeah. for us, it was kind of the other way around. And I think even in the playoffs, I don't th- those two games against Portland. Like look, I, I I thought we deserved to go through. I thought thought we deserved to win. But even though they it it wasn't. I don't, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It wasn't. <laughs> it, it didn't feel. It didn't feel with that kind of confidence going yeah. into that game at Wembley. Yeah. That, like that like so, Charlton, for example, went mm. went to Doncaster and they were tuning a lot inside half an hour. And I know Doncaster pulled on back, but Charlton pretty much battered them for the first half hour in that. And well, that, mind you, they were lucky because one of the goals was offside, and then in the second leg, they, they were, got they lost the game. So Charlton. True. True. So, but I, but but they were as the season went on though. They they kind of. They had a great run at the end, didn't yeah, they, where they were I mean. battering teams. But you often find the playoffs that like the team that yeah. comes in on good form ends up going up. And whereas for us, it was kind of like the last time. Well, the it's, it's funny in League One, when you look at the stats, a team that finishes third often went up. Whereas you look at statistically, people have that cliche about, you know, the team that finishes sixth often does the best. Um, but in the champ- in, in League One, it's I think it was over 70% of the time the team that finishes third would go up. Couldn't even get that right. Um, couldn't even get that. But well, we didn't finish third. I know that, but when we have finished third, oh. past it's been in the divisions. But this was yeah, the thing. Yeah. Like, this was the thing as well. We, we finished fifth, like kind of com- completely randomly. Like we were like, oh, like we're, yeah. we're, gonna, we're definitely going to be in the top three. Then all, all of a sudden, next thing you know, it's like, last day of the season down south end, and we fifth in the league. We're like, what, what's going on here? So I, I, I think that probably plays into the kind of negativity thing. Um, but I mean, like, sorry, going back, going back to what we're saying, like about like. Like Willis, for example, I mean, even even Coventry's manager, when he left, said we're expecting him to go to a championship team. So, I mean, that that's got to be a big positive. All their fans like him. I mean, their fans hate us, and they're even admitting that they like him. So, you know, he must be pretty good. And I I think um, from from what I can see, like I, I don't think you really fault the incoming business this summer. I think there's possibly. St- Still, some gaps. I think like a, a fullback. Well, if we're going to play wing backs, yeah, I think that, that that's where you need. That's where you look now, and I imagine they are because they've, they've well, basically said that they're not done. On that point, we'll we'll hold it there, and when we come back, we'll have a chat about the big outgoing this week by the look of things, and and the repercussions that might have on the on the squad going forward. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So it appears that George Honeyman is, is leaving Sunderland. He might have left by now, I don't know, by the time you hear this, but to, to Hull City in the championship um, for a fee, I believe to be in the region of half a million pounds-ish. Um, I don't know how the deal's structured. Uh, I don't think Hull are particularly flush themselves, um, so I don't know how that's been dealt with. Um, but yeah, well, I mean, what are people's thoughts on that? I'm conflicted in that. <laughs> I'm just generally a conflicted person. No, I'm 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 conflicted in that he's he's an academy prospect and he's cost us nothing, and we're we're, we're selling them on for for half a million pounds and. And it's a good deal, but on the flip side of it, he's 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 Jack Ross's captain. I'm a little bit concerned by why what Ross has said um, said today about being a bit surprised about it. Um, that for me sends out a bit of a red flag, sends out a few alarm bells that he's allowed or he's without his prior knowledge had had his captain sold from underneath his. Underneath well, we, his I don't think we can definitely say that's what happened from what he said. I mean, James, no, no. Was, James was there today. I don't know how you probably have a better idea of the feel and interpretation of, of that situation. Yeah, I think probably to put some context around that, he said surprised, but it wasn't quite clear whether what he meant was that he was surprised at the speed that the bid came came in because it came from nowhere as opposed to, you know, somebody rang him up and said, by the way, George Honeyman's being sold from... And that's that. It was. I think it was more that it had, had come come from nothing. The the interest. It's not one of these that has been going on for for some time. Um, but I think that um, it's certainly clear that when you look at the the glut of of central midfield players, at least one has had to move this summer. Um, you can only really get rid of the ones that you've got an offer for, um, and the offer was there for George Honeyman, a player in his last year of, of his contract. Uh, I think the club was probably um, concerned about another John, John, Josh, Madger situation again, um, you know, and, and not losing him for for free or, or the threat of losing him for free at the end of of the season. So they had the opportunity to um, to cash in and, and take the money, um, and it is an area of the side that. that uh, very well provided for, so it's well, not as though it would leave a gap. I don't think they won't be replacing him. Put it that way. Well, it, in I terms mean, of bringing someone else in, in. in, in that respect, I think it's talking about him leaving a gap. What what is his position? I think that's his issue. I mean, he, he's not really a centre midfielder. He's not a winger. He's not a ten. I mean, he's scored a few goals, but he doesn't really create a lot. He runs around a lot, and and you know he puts everything into it, and he works. He looks like one of those players who work really hard on his game. But what he's 24, 24 years old now, I think. Twenty three, twenty four. Yeah. So you look at that and go, is there is the more can you get much more out of George Honeyman at this stage in in terms of his development? Personally, I don't think. I think he's probably where he's going to be now. Um, he struggled a little bit in the championship when we got relegated, um, but he did okay. Um, and maybe he's just a championship squad player, which is fine. And obviously, he's, we've lost him, and you could argue well, a championship squad player should be good enough to play first team for Sunderland but again in the system that we've got where would he have played in that sort of if you play in the dime, if you play in the, uh, the the Christmas tree with the two deep ones and the, and the two behind the forward he doesn't get in there ahead of Maguire he doesn't get in there ahead of McGeady he's not going to get in ahead of Embleton who's been playing is he going to get in ahead of Watmore in terms of variety there is he going to pl- we've got Power McGeoch Robson um, and in Ledbetter is he going to get in alongside them if we've signed Dobson he's probably going to play a lot so I felt a bit bad because I almost like forgot about George Honeyman which sounds terrible because I like him but I, I think when, when you look at it you know George gets a lot of uh, a lot of stick as, as well um, he's kind of what, what I'd, I'd refer to as, as, a, as a coach's player um, since he made his debut under Gus Poyet um, 
virtually every manager, in fact, probably every manager, I haven't looked, but certainly virtually every manager that's been in since Gus uh, has played him to some, some degree. There's now a championship club that want him. Um, so, again, this goes back to what I was saying about Will Grigg, people that say, George Honeyman's crap, George Honeyman's useless. You know, it, it's just not true. You know, people in the game know his his value to, to a team. He, he may not catch the eye in the way that an Aidan McGeady does, um, but he, he has use and he has purpose and, and he brings something to, to to your team. He's a bit of a, like you say, what is his position? He, he is a bit of a Swiss army knife of a, of a player. You know, he can do a lot of different things and, and he gets moved around as, as a consequence of that. So he rarely gets a, a run of 10, 15 games in the same, in exactly the same role. And maybe that counts against him. But again, coaches love having a player that they can that they can move around and, and that can, is capable of playing two or three different roles in, in a side. I think, to be honest, I think Honeyman suffered a bit last year from what we've kind of already touched on about um, kind of other midfielders being quite slow and static. Um, I think he was he was the one who had to kind of buzz around sort of thing. And I, I I'll be honest, I, I think he, he's pretty under underappreciated. Um, I think like for whatever reason, people. Well, I'm not going to say everyone, but a significant amount of people, at least online, don't seem to like him. And he, split, he splits opinion. He splits opinion. Yeah, I think that's the diplomatic way of putting it. Um, but there was, I remember the, there was a period it was like um, there was about six games after Christmas last year Boxing Day around then um, where he wasn't in the team and I, I thought it was pretty noticeable because there was there was really no movement whatsoever in the middle now going back to what you, you just said about this new formation now I do think I do agree actually that it is harder to see where he fits in there um, if it was the same as last year I would have thought you could have a defensive midfielder have have Dobson alongside Honeyman or mm. just a little bit behind and then that that gives him someone with a bit more movement alongside I mean him. he did play in the two for a period with, with Catnamore yeah. um, I, I think to be honest look look, he's not a world beater um, but I don't I don't think it was the main issue for, for Sunderland's midfield last no, year by went, any chance no he probably wasn't no. when, when I say I, I was conflicted about it it's because oh you so said convicted con- convicted oh, con- just conflicted. Just conflicted yeah um that you know your captain of the team should be an indispensable player should be a central role a first name on the team sheet almost and you know not only was George Honeyman not the best midfielder in the team he wasn't the best captain in the team you know when you've got the likes of Grant Ledbetter and Lee Catamull and probably to a lesser extent Max Power as well in that team ahead of you Mm -hmm. it's it's it was very difficult to find his place in that team and I think the fact he was captain just kind of the captaincy thing to me people just like like captain, I don't know. I don't understand the captain thing. To be honest, like I understand why there's a captain in the team. I think, and, but people just go like like the England captain thing, and everyone goes crazy about it. And it's like a, an honour, isn't it? That's yeah. the thing that you bestow on somebody rather than like an actual well, in, influence. Say, I think if you um, if because I went back and had a look at what Ross said three weeks ago when he confirmed he was going to keep him as the captain, and it was interesting in fairness because he kind of. He talked about like the off-field stuff, and he talked about him being like an ambas- ambassador yeah. for the club. And I know Kevin Balls said very similar things about him. Which okay, yeah, that that is a different. Thing. I think just going back to what we said before, though, I think look from from the perspective of do we have too many midfielders? Do we need to get rid of some? I think yeah, we we definitely do. Um, if George Honeyman has to be that one, then so be it. I think I would agree with Richard though. The thing that concerned me this I was. I wondered about it last night, and then I, actually I'll come out of that. I wondered about it last night, but I think the the quote today, it, he basically said along the lines, of, I've got it here. He says, um, "It it does affect what you expected to start the season with in terms of your squad and in terms of your captaincy." And I just think that whether he meant it this way or that way or not, that gives off the impression that it wasn't something he was fully on board with. And I know we might say that like the the bid came in quickly but does does that mean that the bid was accepted before but, but at the same time just because he's not fully on board with it doesn't mean that he didn't make the decision to do it because it it's does. a difficult decision it, because it is, of his role as yeah. in, in the team and, and, and how we've regularly played but he, he is just like it's sad but he's dispensable in my, in my opinion he's a dispensable he is, he is, player but, and, and I, I wouldn't disagree but everything that I've seen previously suggested to me that the manager he, he, he was for whatever reason 
whether we agree with it or not, he was one of the first names on the team sheet for the manager. Now, that might have changed to the extent that Ross is fine with it, but the impression I, I got from those quotes today was that might not be the case. I just think with the options we've got, I, I think there's, eno- there's enough there to, to do... There's enough there to get promoted without George Honeyman, in my opinion. But and that, that that's not a slight on George Honeyman at all. I do think, well, like like James has touched on, he's probably fallen victim of that utility player thing. Where, but I mean, when he started the season, the championship, it was a surprise, wasn't it? He played, yeah. but he was playing wide right mm-hmm. um, under Grayson, and then he ended up playing at wing. But he might actually be a half decent. He might a half decent wing back. He probably wouldn't be too bad there. I suppose the thing that we haven't mentioned is there's a very real possibility that he was the one who turned yeah. around and said, actually, yeah, I, I want to go. Yeah. Like, with, maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe he, he hears some of the grief he gets and he doesn't like that. Or maybe he just looked around, look, that's a that's a championship football club. I want to yeah. go play a championship football Maybe he so, just fancy a change. Yeah, so I, I don't think it's like as cut and dried as kind of Jack Ross didn't want to sell him or Jack Ross definitely wanted to sell him or whatever. I, I think there's a lot more comes into it than that. I think getting away from that, because, look, we don't know, we're just speculating. I think in terms of on the pitch yeah I, I would probably agree that he's not I, I, I do think there'll be times when we miss him I do, yeah. I do think that especially if Dobson gets injured because I think then you look you're struggling to find like a kind of really mobile mobile presence well, we'd have in the to be said, uh, the players are well I know he's not available at the moment because he's got a knock as Ross confirmed today but it would be Ethan Robson, Robson yeah. probably would be the, the other one and then prob- well or Max Power yeah. um, he could probably do it but I would say Max Powers more towards the mould of the Ledbetter-McGeoch type. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's interesting, you know, you mentioned the captaincy as well. I think when the decision was made to make George Honeyman the captain last summer, um, of course, you mentioned other candidates in, in there. Well, obviously, uh, Lee Catamull was at that stage expected to leave. Mm. Uh, Grant Ledbetter hadn't arrived. So... Those are two players that you could probably put, well, that you can put out out of the running a year ago when when the decision was taken. I think, um, given everything that had gone before, there was probably a, a a desire to, if possible, have an academy player, yeah. um, someone who who'd come through, somebody who the fans would get behind and and support as as a, as a local lad um, to try and bring um, you know build bridges between fans and and team again, which was. You know, we forget a, a year ago the whole thing was was torn apart and smashed into a million pieces. Um, so that that probably all came into the thinking, and also I think having, uh, as it turned out, with Lee Catamore staying, it meant that you you had a real sort of motivational captain even without the armband in in the side. He didn't need the armband to be seen as as the leader in that team. Um, he didn't need any arm, any kind of armband to to take on that role. Um, but George was was the Sort of the public face and the ambassador and the club captain, if you like. Do you remember the days when they used to split split it between a club captain, yeah. Yeah. Niall Quinn, and they had an on-field captain too? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's almost that kind of scenario. I think Bolo Zenden was a club captain for yeah, quite yeah. a while, wasn't he? Yeah, so it's almost a, a, a split captaincy. And that may even be the way that the club goes this season, you know, because who would you give the armband to now? Obviously, Catamore's gone, Grant Lebbitter's there, but will he play every game? Aidan McGeady again, you know, another senior player has mm. has played with the arm armband before, but you know, would he uh, w- will he play every, every game given his age? It's difficult difficult to say. Or, or will the ca- will the actual on field captaincy be rotated amongst a number of players, but somebody will be appointed as a figurehead as well? Yeah. I think I mean the, cap- the, the captaincy is, the captaincy is such now is that that you can't take it away from someone without creating some kind of furore. Mm. Yeah, you know, we've seen it with with yeah. with Lee Catamull in the past. Was that yeah, under, that was under De Canio. De Canio, yeah. yeah. The, 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 you know, the, the issues with his squad number before that season. Um, I remember Dean Whitehead handing it back when, when he decided the, the weight of the, the captaincy was too much for his, uh, for his shoulders. But <laughs> you did have a big head You're almost better appointing um, you know, an off-field amb- ambassador, a club captain, yeah. and then having, say, a group of four players and whichever of those, the most senior of those four who's in the yeah. team, so even if three of them are playing, the most senior of that, you have them in order of, of four, you know, the, yeah. that's, that's how the, the arm band will it, go. It, it's, as it's long a, as you make that public, and so everybody knows exactly how it's working, rather than the armband seeming to, to change around randomly, as long as everybody knows, then that's not such a bad it thing. It just seems a bit of a talk and gesture to me anyway. When it, it seems a little bit... 
outdated anyway. I mean, really, what is a captain, captain talks to the referee? I know, but like every player should be, you know, displaying leadership qualities. And, and some some will have more than most, but they're not going to shy away just because they haven't got an armband. I, I do agree with you, but all I will say is that I got the vibe from Ross last year that he put some store by it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's, he, that's he, fair, yeah. He talked it up quite a lot, and I feel like maybe, maybe that was a motivational thing for Honeyman. But maybe. There's probably, there is probably an extra motive there, but I, I do feel like he talked that up quite a bit. And I agree with you, Richard, like, if you take it off them, like, yeah, okay, it causes a bit, bit of a stir, but... I do believe that if Ross didn't think he was up to it or didn't think it was, if it was the right thing, I don't. I don't think. I don't think he would have played him. I don't, like. I think if he if he got to a point last year where he was like, look, this this is really detrimental. I've I've got to just kind of bite the bullet and accept that I've made a mistake. I think he would do that. Um, maybe that's naive. I don't know. But yeah. Well, yeah, I think I as well, you think about the, the two Wembley finals last last season as well. It, you know, it'd be a big thing as to as to who collects a trophy yeah, or whatever yeah. whatever else. You know. Everybody, everybody, um, you know, remembers Bobby Kerr as being the FA Cup winning captain, and I know we're obviously talking about a different different level, but still, it's an important honour no, in, in those circumstances. Now, just you can't just now, sort of that. Mind, really now, often though, you see at those trophy lifting ceremonies and all that, there's like two or three people got their hands on the trophy when it's lifted up because it's a squad collective thing, and they go near the main, like you're saying yeah. about the senior group. But moving on slightly from that, and we'll try and wrap it up in a minute, but. A question on Twitter from um, at M Jacko nineteen eighty nine. It's not him. I think he's. I don't think he is back. Uh, Michael Jackson. Um, it's, a diff- it's a different Matthew. Um, it's Matthew Jackson, not Michael Jackson. But anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to thank you for that, that comparison. I'm, I'm, guess, not saying, I'm not saying he's involved with anything like that. <laughs> All right. Um, although he will come to his big ranch and do a podcast if he wants us to um, so we've kind of talked about it a little bit but he said have we signed the players to fit Jack Ross's system um, or have we just gone for players who are better than what we've got um, I think we're, I think we're still short at full back wing back and there's a lot of pressure on Ross to get it right this, way, this year no excuses so if we are to use the money or more likely rather than the money we've you know taken from a, a deal for Honeyman um It'll be more about the wages off the wage bill and what that allows us to do in terms of bringing somebody in. We don't need to strengthen in, in midfield. Does that resource then go into that area? Because we do look short. I think we've got Hume. I know McLaughlin can play there. He's played more of a right-side centre-back. We haven't got a right-wing back, really, have we? No. I, I, I think that's definitely the, the weak spot. And I think, I think yeah, I think both sides. I mean, we've got Hume. I, I think Ross says... The McLaughlin and um, Flanagan can play there if if needs be, but that, that's not really what that's not really what you want to hear, kind of thing, because that's two right-footed players, and it it just unbalances the side. So yeah, I think I think both fullback positions, and I, I, to be fair, the the way they've they've talked about it, um, all summer along they they plugged kind of the obvious gaps. So I I would be pretty surprised if there's not, um, I mean they might they might not get someone, but. I would be very surprised if they're not trying to to fix that. I think as, as things stand right now with with the squad, the only player that I can see coming in is uh, um, you know some cover for Denver Hume on the left side there, uh, and I don't think they'll spend much, if anything, yeah. in terms of a fee to the, get them. But that's not uncommon at this level. I know, I know it's a com- it's just it's the thing you see on social media: a lot of free transfers, loans, all this in League One. My, my, my not point, a lot of money changes hands in fees. My point is, if you if you're seeing Sunderland linked with players for a million quid or two million quid, just disregard it. Yeah. yeah because yeah. you know, over the summer we, we've seen you know the big um, the big kerfuffle over Marcus Madison no, and John what, Marcus. Sunderland never had Mar- that. What's never, Marcus Madison thing all about? Does anybody never, know what this, where this has come from? Sunderland never had that kind of money to spend on players this summer, but, so you can just ig- safely ignore it. Don't waste your time on it. But the thing, the thing is, like in this division, they, like they shouldn't be doing that anyway. Like I mean, like, I mean, I, I I was of the opinion at the time, and I, I'm not going to change it. That like, okay, they needed a striker, but. Like the amount that they end up paying for Will Grigg was ridiculous. Like, like you, you don't need to spend that sort of money in this no. division. Yeah, I was I was massively underwhelmed by any any rumours linking us with uh, John Marcus, Mark Wiss, or Marquis, yeah. Marquis th- signing. But no, I was, I was never, <laughs> every time I've seen him, I've, I've not been a great fan of him anyway. So I think we might have dodged one there. But the thing is, like, I mean, Luton and 
Charlton went up last year and didn't, didn't spend a penny. I literally didn't spend a penny. In most teams in this division, it's something like 93% of transfers in this division don't command a fee. And there's a reason for that as well, because if you do get promoted, the the jump is pretty big. So you, you don't want it. You don't want to spend like millions of pounds on someone who then can't cut it in the league above. So when I say this Marcus Madison stuff, I'm kind of like quite glad that nothing's going to happen there because if, if it's going to cost two and a half million quid, like I think I think a lot of people like looking for well, it's only two and a half million quid. Like people spend forty million quid in the Premier League, but two and a half million quid's a lot of money to us now. And if, if okay, if we get promoted, great. But then if we get in the Championship, he's not very good. Like it's kind of you're not really getting your value for money. One of the, just kind of on that, one of the odd upsides of not going up this year. If we do go, sorry, not going up last year. Another trip we to do, Portsmouth. Well, I said upsides. <laughs> um, is quite a lot of the squad are out of contract at the end of the season so you kind of if you do go up you're kind of not in a position where you've got like quite a lot of dead weight you you kind of in that position where you can go okay you've helped us get up but we don't think you're going to be helpful ruthless well yeah I mean that, that's the way it's got to be yeah. really yeah, I mean, well yeah that's why, this, that's why clubs in this league sign players on two year yeah. deals it's a good point the problem is when the sharks are circling, and people are looking at John McLaughlin and other players that you want to keep. You yeah. know that people will look at that and go, "Oh, he's in the last year of his contract," and so and so is in the last year of his contract. But the thing is, that I think you know Jack Ross is in the last year of his contract, and and you know as as time goes on, that might that may or may not become an issue. Suddenly, the advantage that you're talking about of being able to uh, yeah. move players on fairly easily can also be a disadvantage when it comes to the players you want to keep. I think with the likes of McLaughlin, though, I think we would probably all agree. That he would be one of the ones we would we would keep if we were to go up next year. There's probably I agree though. There's, there's probably some of the borderline. You kind of you have to make that call. Do we do we give him a new contract with the risk that we don't go up? Or so. But but I ju- I just think that if we're going to be positive yeah. about this season, that that is one of them. Well, you need to you need to go goalkeeper as we've learned very very that the lend the hard way just a goalkeeper I think yeah yeah one with, one with working hands see that yeah. Jay Clarkson has been reunited with Lee Camp at Birmingham so that should be fun for them that would be good yeah, should, be should good. we all get season tickets at St Andrews um, no <laughs> can't, I can't relive that um, although they were like if they didn't have had a point deduction they could have been like on the cusp of the playoffs which is I mean it's it's insane really I can't really I can't work that out at all. Um, but yeah, we probably should leave it there. I know we could like do the thing where we talk about who would pick in the team and all that kind of thing. But to have be you honest, actually mentioned the word be, Oxford once? I don't think we have. Actually, I said <laughs> it Oxford. has come up. It, then oh. I, I remembered. Oh, actually, that's, that's who we're playing. Oh. Yeah. But yeah, we'll forget. Look, obviously, I think as Richard was saying earlier, as, as the time gets closer to the the you know that kick off and the the excitement, even if you're not feeling it at the moment, I think. It'll return, and you know, just getting into that season again, getting going, and you know, making sure we're successful this time. Um, remember that you can listen to um, the the Stuart Donald pod. We did something with Niall Quinn on wrote report to the other half of that, so that's there if you haven't heard it yet. But it's just on if you you know go on to your um, on your feed, uh, the Wise Men Say feed. However, you, you you listen to your podcast, it'll be loitering there uh, not far from this one uh, because we haven't done many since then a um, couple of competitions or one competition we've got running at the moment on the on the Twitter if you go on there for you know, local fellow who's not together some quite nice uh, sort of match day wear stuff um, called From the Terraces um, got a competition there if you if you retweet um, and, and follow us on that you'll get put into a draw Friday which is tomorrow um, for a chance to win something from them um, I've got one of the tops myself and they are very nice indeed um, and opportunity if you want to join the Wise Men Say team as well we're, we're taking um, sort of writing submissions from people um, so get in touch with us on Twitter if you want to know how you can get involved in that um, and we'll give you the information and you can send something over to us and have a look and if we like it you might find yourself certainly you know with your name in the Sunderland Let Go and you might even find yourself you know close to the famous blue green fleece who knows one day when you get to sit next to people like Richard is that an incentive or uh, well I don't know it depends depends you know depends I don't know what to say what second prize 
It's you, James. <laughs> I'll, I'll take second prize. Yeah. Um, so yeah, obviously we'll be back on Monday. Stephen should be back, and it'll be us again doing it. And then Frankie will be back on the Thursday, and we'll get into the swing of things again. And um, we might be seeing you at the weekend. Um, we're not doing the peacock anymore, so don't go there, unfortunately. But keep an eye out on social media. We will be about. Come and see us. Um, so thanks very much for listening. Um, and. Yeah, hopefully we're talking about a victory against Oxford on Monday. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.